Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And go right now and leave a rating and review. It's easy, it only takes a moment, and it helps us find new listeners to the show. Just go to the show page on the app you're using right now and hit five stars. It really is that easy. Previous guests on the show have included Beth Paz, Mandy Smith, and Liam Burns. You can go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Benjamin Wendell. Benjamin is an author, pastor, and millennial Gen Z specialist. As a pastor for over 20 years, he's walked with many people, through the dark shadows and values of the human experience. He has dedicated his life to helping people overcome life's challenges by growing deeper in their faith and reaching higher in life. He is the author of Good Catastrophe, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. Benjamin and I have a conversation about finding hope in despair, darkness, and catastrophe. Is it really possible? Well, Ben takes the story of Job and illuminates it for us today. Here's my conversation with Benjamin Wendell. Benjamin, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you so much, Joshua. Been looking forward to this and looking forward to our conversation together. Yeah, I'm really excited to to talk to you about finding hope uh, in catastrophe and uh, difficult situations. You know, as you wrote. Uh, the book Good Catastrophe, off of really the story of Job, which is really the oldest story that we have in the Bible, uh, that it was there and it looked like this this man who was stripped from, of everything was able to find hope in a hopeless situation, that there didn't seem to be anything left, but he was still saying, okay, God, I trust you in the midst of this, uh, and I could see a little bit of hope. How do you see this story helping us today, it being the the oldest of the stories that we have in the Bible? That's an interesting note that you make, that you know, potentially the authorship of the book of Job is dated as, you know, the earliest um in in the Old Testament. And what I find interesting about that is that it's a it's a tale of our times. And if we've ever needed to understand how God is at work in the midst of our imperfections, 
it's today. You know, just recently the CDC released survey results that showed 57% of teenage girls said they felt persistently sad or hopeless. I mean, it's nearly three in five. Now, when you look at our cultural landscape, the rise of AI, school shootings, cultural upheaval, political division, racial tension, there is this desperate need for a transcendence Mm -hmm. in a world that feels dark. And for me, you know, I've been raised in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. I've been a pastor myself for over 20 years. And I think sometimes the treatment that we give the story of Job, well, I think it needs to be re-examined. And I do that in this book, Good Catastrophe. And for me, what I discovered as I re-looked at this story was remarkable. It changed some of how I've come to view the challenges in suffering in life, and I've wanted to put that message in front of others. Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's a very relevant message today, uh, with as you said, the rise of anxiety, the rise of depression, um, and you know I think that the culture is going so fast we we can't keep up. We're a product of our age. And we're a product of the age that we live in, so much so that hey, I can see what's happening all over the world right now, and now there's mass shootings every day, and I could like I could move my head back and forth constantly, and it's going to get me into this place of of worry and hopelessness. And is there really something? good in this the darkness of this world uh there's so much that was even a void of of light but there is a sprig of hope uh if we can look for it we could find it that light will illumine the darkness at some point we're going to see that where have you found any of these sprigs of hope here today let's take a look at the story of of job and uh, I think within this story, I've found remarkable hope and a version of hope that doesn't just work when everything is perfect in our life, but it works when life hits the hardest. Hmm. So quick recap of you know this story. Um, before tragedy struck, Job is this man of great success and wealth and achievement. He's living the good life. And in a single day, a perfect storm hits this man's life. And I'm sure you've discovered this. I know I have. A lot can turn in a week or a day mm-hmm. or a single phone call, one text message that happens to Job. Uh, he loses everything. His 10 children tragically die. He loses his wealth, his businesses and his physical health. And we get this picture of just a broken man. His house is now quiet. There's no laughter. There's no dinners with his sons and his daughters. There's just pain. In fact, the Bible records his loss was so deep that he had exhausted his tears. So we find this character, this man, Job, and I think for me, he's come to 
embody what we so desperately need today? Is there a hope that thrives when life hurts? Mm. Okay. So let's just take a take a, a new look at this story because I think that again, being raised in the church, I've heard a version of the story of Job that goes something like this. Job was a man who lost everything, had hope, and got it all back. In fact, he got back double what he lost. I've come to resist this treatment of the story of Job. And in in fact, it now strikes me as an almost callous retelling of the story to consider that uh, version of, you know, victorious recovery. And, and I'll explain it this way. I have three sons myself. And, you know, if if you came to me, Joshua, and said, hey, I've got a deal for you. I want to replace your three sons with six new sons. I'd be like, you know, that's this isn't a mathematical equation. Like yeah. they're irreplaceable. They're my sons. You can't replace my three sons for 300 sons or 3,000 sons. They're my children. And I think we have to recognize with the story of Job that Job never recovered what mattered most in his life. He never got his 10 children back. What hope enabled Job to do was to rebuild his life in the midst of imperfections. And that may be uncomfortable for us to see that there is unresolved pain in this story, but it brings us right to the heart of hope that even in pain and despair, hope flourishes. So I could not wrap a ribbon around the box and present a neatly finished package of the story of Job um, that, well, he just got everything back. What I found was something better, and it's this. Hope exists in the middle of our biggest losses, in the middle of our despair and our deepest pain. Hope lives and hope is potent. So for those of us who are thinking, hope is there for times where it feels like the landscape of my life has cleared up. I'm wanting to show us all that even in the midst of darkness and oppression and maybe the deepest challenges you find yourself in, hope shows up in its most potent form in those moments of our life. Hmm. You know, as I, I reflect on that and the story of Job and even with the people around me, when they're going through a lot of, of anxiety, depression, there's a lot of difficulties. Uh, oftentimes when we, when we think that we are the owner of our story, like I'm living my life and I, we often subconsciously think w that we are really God of our life. Um, and I think Job said, I'm not God of my life. There is uh, there is a God that has created me that that I'm living in His story. How do we see a different perspective of, and is that perspective that we're living in God's story and we're a part of that story? Can that help us bring some some hope in the the deepest darkest places of our lives? One thing is clear from the story of Job, 
and that is this, that God chose to not even answer the questions that Job and his three friends, you know, spend chapters asking. Instead, God presents himself as the ultimate solution. So, yes, I think this becomes a great archetype and model life lesson for us to recognize that we don't always get the answers we hope from God in the way and in the packaging we would like. I mean, for example, if God is all-powerful, meaning God can do anything at any time, and God is all-knowing, he sees everything, and God is good, then how do we explain the tragedies that hit our life? How do we explain the news feeds that, you know, we scroll through on our phone every day? If God is powerful and God sees everything, then why doesn't God intervene in those situations and bring about good? And these are some of the, the great questions of of life. Now, if you ask me, I would say I would love to have a clean, polished version of an answer to that story. Job doesn't get one, and I'm not sure that we do either. But what God does give us is this virtue called hope. Now, when you think about these three pillars of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love, we talk a lot about faith mm-hmm. and love, but not so much about hope. But hope is one of God's gifts to us to help us to navigate the complexities and imperfections of life, even when we don't understand them. Now, the risk is if we have what I call a postcard version of life that, you know, kind of suggests that if you follow God, uh, you follow scripture, that you're somehow going to be immune from the challenges of life and the true difficulties of of life. Then we get surprised when mud gets thrown at that postcard and Mm -hmm. we get disillusioned because we're like, well, I thought by doing A, I would get B. Hope is not an immunity from the challenges of life. Hope is the dynamic that reaches into that imperfection and turns it towards our growth, our flourishing, and our destiny. It's why in the writings of Paul in Romans 8, he says, all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, the all things were not good things. The all things were treacherous. They were problems. The the all things were not good. They were bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul's journey taught him that God can take the bad and orchestrate it into something good. And I think that tension is something that can be a great help to our lives. Mm. You know, it just reminds me, I lived in the Middle East with my wife and we worked a lot with Syrian refugees. And, you know, they were coming out of a war zone 
coming in place. Um, and so my friend, my friend Ahmed had twin babies in the hospital on ventilators uh, in Syria. And uh, he, he was actually in the government. He was made to torture the people that were on the opposing side of the government. And he wanted to leave. He wanted to get out. And while he was waiting for his twin babies that were three weeks old to get off ventilators, a government plane bombed the electric plant next to the hospital. The power went out and his babies died. And we met him about two weeks after that happened. And we sat in his living room as he's a new arriving refugee with his young wife, a one-year-old baby as well. And what do you say in the midst uh, of that? Like he's at his lowest point. Um, I think we, you know, we talked about Psalm 23. I think we shared that. Eventually, we started to share some Jesus stories, and it was about six months later that he said, I thank God that all of that happened to my life, because if the war didn't start, if my babies didn't tie, if I didn't have to flee, I don't think I would ever find the hope in Jesus that I have today, and that Jesus is my hope. And I have, I mean, that, that propels me into a a life of, of like wonder of, wow, even in my darkest days and the, the worst things that have ever happened to me. And I don't, I haven't lived through that. He was able to say, thank you that that happened so that I could have hope in Jesus. How do we get to this this place to realize that Jesus really is hope in our situations? Um, firstly, I think what you just shared is is deeply moving and and remarkable, and my heart goes out to that family in that situation. If we, it's not just that we often hide from pain, or run from it, or suppress it. It's that the fundamental way we approach imperfections in life, in our modern society, needs to shift. Mm. So when you talk about how do we respond and find the hope of God when life hits the hardest, well, back to our man of the moment, Job. Let me read to you from Job 14. And it says this, For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. And that its shoots will not cease, though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Job speaks from the darkest place that life could ever bring any of us. And he gives us this concept vehicle. It's a picture. And he says, my life was like a tree. And it was flourishing. It was alive. The roots spread deep and wide, and the trunk extended like a tower into the sky. The leaves were green, and the flowers' perfume scent filled the air. And he says, but that that tree was brutally cut down, and everything was stolen. And what was once this flourishing, incredible tree now felt like a dead stump in the in the 
dust in the ground. Everything had been stolen. Everything was lost. And it's from that point that Job makes this prediction. And and this is what hope is all about. He says, at the scent of water, the stump, which is his life, would bud again into a flourishing tree. Now, to me, that poetic claim that a stump can flourish and begin life anew at just the scent of water captivated me because it shows me that even in the times of life where we feel like there is there is no way from this point that uh, I can find a way out or I can find a way through, it's at those points that hope can bring about incredible new life for every single one of us. Mm. Yeah. And I, I see that. And I think often as you're, as you're talking, and I think a lot of people listening are, are in the West and in our Western mindset, we, we often individualize, uh, our circumstances and our things. And we say, Hey, there's nobody around me. Um, I can't, there, I don't have somebody to hold this with me uh, because we're all busy with our own individual lives. How important is the the role of of community and people to be able to to find that sprig in the stump that there is a scent of water when we're at the darkest times? It, does community play a role? And how then, if it does, how then should we as community help? and usher in hope or just be with people uh, at their darkest points? It's a great, a great question. Um, can, can I take a moment? I want to address that and just ask, how is that family that you mentioned doing now? I mean, it was just such a deep story that, that you just mentioned there. Mm. Uh, they're doing quite remarkably well. Um, they've had... Uh, more children. I know that they can't replace the ones that they have lost, uh, but they have had more children. Uh, he was somebody, I'll just, as he said yes to following Jesus, uh, he decided to, we decided as we discipled him through prayer, um, as a Muslim man, back, background man, it took about a year for him to say yes to baptism. Um, and as soon as he was baptized, he started to bring in other Muslim men and baptizing others. And so he had started, uh, there's, by the time that we left, there were about 47 simple communities of, of Muslim background people following Jesus together a lot through his story and his, his testimony of Jesus with him in the midst of, of pain and difficulty uh, gave a lot of other refugees hope that they were able to form some community around uh, the life and teachings of Jesus to move forward. And so the, they're still in uh, the country that we were in, um, and they're starting to thrive now because it has been it has been almost ten years now since that he first came over uh, in the war. Oh, it's just an amazing story. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Your question regarding hope and and community. You know, I've 
I've really asked myself this question, is there a link between friendship and hope? Because I've often seen hope as more of like an internal private experience, Mm -hmm. something that happens in me as an individual. But I've really started to see hope as a communal experience. And I put it this way in, in, in Good Catastrophe in the book, I write it this way, hope needs human skin. I'm a millennial myself, and in one study, 22% of millennials said they had no friends, like zero. They feel alone on an island. I mean, it's just stunning to me to think that almost a quarter of my generation feels like they don't have a single friend in the world to turn to in times of need. But Gen Z is even worse. According to a survey done by Cigna, nearly 79% of Gen Z respondents reported feeling lonely. Mm. Now, you know, Job is alone in this tragic story of losing all of his children and his health. And the narrative of that book zooms in on this moment, and he's sitting alone, just in the dirt. He's heaping ashes over his face. And on the horizon, through the dried tears on his dusty face, Job sees the outline of three men. Those three men are Job's friends. They're they're friends that when everybody else walked out of Job's life, three friends walked in. And hope walked into his life in the form of three literal physical, in-person friends. These friends were not going on a vacation. They were not going to the beach. They made plans to leave their families, their homes, and their cities to simply be a friend. Now, maybe in his success, Job had 300 friends or 3,000 friends, but only three walk into his pain. Now, for me, this dramatic moment of three friends walking into his grief is perhaps the most special moment in this entire story because pain needs to be diffused through our friendships to come out the other side as hope. So I'm not sure that the words hope and alone are compatible. Mm. Hope and community go hand in hand. We need others Hope needs human skin. So I think we give these three friends a bad rap because it's like, well, they went on to give some bad advice. They went on to ask questions and framed them in a way that maybe showed a lack of faith or a lack of perspective with God. Okay, maybe they did. Maybe they got some of their theology wrong. Maybe their faith wasn't strong enough. But you know what these three guys did real well? And we just read over this like it's nothing. These three guys sit with Job in silence on the ground for seven days. It's a remarkable act of friendship. And I'm sure there are listeners, and I can relate to this myself, where I've been through adversity or pain or hardship, and I've longed for just one friend to show up in that moment. Mm -hmm. Job had three we have to distinguish hope from just being this like 
vague, misty emotion or feeling or virtue and recognize that often how God transports hope into our life is through the vehicle of friendship and real human beings. Mm. Do you have an example in your life where you found hope in the friends and people around you that brought you through to the other side? Yeah, I think I have examples of of both. You know, mm-hmm. I have examples of times where I felt, um, well, I would probably just say it this way. I felt that people in the Christian community can say, well, I'm praying for you and I'm thinking of you and I'm standing with you. And what we need to get better at is literally praying with people. Like I'm talking, you know, hand on shoulder, in person, getting in your car, you know, turning up for 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 those that are that are in need, that are going through the valleys, that are going through difficulties. Being available to people is one of the greatest acts of hope that we can bring. So I think I've been on both ends of that spectrum. I've had times where you've had those moments where people have reached out, people have turned up, people have shown up, and I've had moments like that. And I've had the other side as well, where I'm like, well, it would be, I would I would welcome the three friends to walk in right now. And I think I've come to the conclusion through both sides of that, that I want to firstly recognize the value of friendships and community in my life, and not just see hope as a, a, a mystical virtue, but I also want to be a hope giver to others. Mm-hmm. And if all that means is I'm able to turn up, right, and not say a word, but physically be present, I can literally be the hope of Jesus in that moment to a mm. person in their moment of need. Mm. Well, it seems to, to me that it's uh, more difficult to be present in person with people uh, these days. Like we, I mean, I, we're recording over Zoom um, and we we get to connect, uh, but it's it's not the same as connecting uh, in the flesh, in person, in the midst of pain and struggle, and being right next to somebody. Um, technology is 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 useful and it's good, uh, but it's also something that we can you know be it could be our crutch, and we can rely on on that and we miss opportunities uh to be with others how do we how do we figure out this this piece now i mean this is this is our age that we live in how do we figure out the piece where we can start to connect one to another where we have actually less loneliness less anxiety less depression because we can connect and not just write a quick little text I'm praying for you. Yeah, one, one way of addressing uh, that is to recognize the point of recognition. It's the aha moment to say, are we okay with Gen Z saying 79% of us are lonely? Oh, and the same generation is on their cell phone for over seven hours a day on average. Do we not see a link So we have to recognize all ages, all generations, that technology helps, 
and technology hurts. And it helps us do banking better, right? Mm-hmm. Helps us stay in touch with old school friends. But it hurts us when we use it as a substitute for building real community. And so I wrote this, that pain is amplified in the cold rain of loneliness, but it is divided in the warmth of community. We have to reinvest in real community and in friendship and recognize it's an expression of the love of God and to not just see hope as a feeling When I read scripture, the tool that God uses over and over again to bring hope is people. Mm. God uses people as the conduit of hope. So hope is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's found through real human expression. Now, there was a study done through Harvard, the Grant and Bluick study, which is this 75-year study. It's remarkable. And I mean, they studied people through every season of their life, decades and generations of researchers. They took blood samples. They did both quantitative and qualitative analysis and research on this cohort of of over 700 men. And through these decades of their life, as they grew up and entered into middle age, got married, had children, became grandparents, eventually entered into old age, and most of them died. By this point, as of this point of the podcast, only only a small number are still alive. Here's what they found as the number one key to happiness and health. And it is having relationships, good, healthy relationships with family, with friends, with community. And when the data shows us we need people, we have to reformat our theology to say this, my hope is in God, I don't need people. And we can start to recognize, but God uses people. Mm -hmm. So if my hope is in God, I have to open myself up, but also I need to be that person to others, go on the journey with people and step into and show up in people's hour of need. Yeah. That's really good that, you know, we need relationships to to step forward. Um, you know, as you were were looking for this, this I just wanna sit at this title that you have, Good Catastrophe. Uh I think when I, I've shown people uh your book and they look at it and they're like, how can that be? <laughs> they're they're actually shocked a little bit at the title. And it it is a, a it's a it's a good catch catching title, but it is something. Where did you find that? Where did you where did it come from? Um, and what can we learn from that? That there is actually light in the the midst of some our catastrophe. Yeah the the phrase "good catastrophe" uh, for me came out of research I was doing to try and find a word that captured both good and bad work together for our growth and flourishing. And, you know, I couldn't find an English word, right? (laughs) 
But what I did find is this word, eucatastrophe, spelt E-U, catastrophe, from the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And he coined this term, eucatastrophe, good catastrophe, to represent in his writings and in his stories that when things seemed the darkest, like there was no hope left, there was no way out, that there was a sudden turn towards hope. What's truly fascinating is when I read about this man's life, Tolkien, I discovered that he served in World War I. And, I mean, he experienced some of the most brutal and bloody trench fighting of the war. His fellow soldiers were getting gunned down at an alarming rate. And to make matters worse, he, he contracted a debilitating fever. It almost killed him. So he's in pain and in suffering. And on November 8, 1916, he's sent back to England to recover from this terrible fever. What's interesting about that is when we now look back through the lens of history, we know that all but one of his dearest friends from school were killed in the war. Wow. Tolkien was saved. So if it were not for the fever, something bad, we would not have the maybe the greatest literary giant of the 20th century, which is something good. So the same fever that removed him from the battlefield is the same fever that preserved his life. So in other words, literally Tolkien's life was a good catastrophe. Mm. And so I just find that whole story so interesting that uh, today when we think about this idea of hardship and imperfections and challenges that we would rediscover this idea that God takes our greatest challenges and uses it for our greatest growth. Mm. So what a good catastrophe is, if people can conceptualize this idea, I think it becomes a very helpful I mean, I've been having people use you start using this phrase to talk about, you know, their own life. But good catastrophes are these dual events. They're redemptive moments where God makes a turn that only God can make. Where the same events that almost broke you, brought you to your knees, covered your face in tears, have now become redemptive markers in your life that shape your valley and your values and your successes mm. and your breakthroughs. So when we think about these dual moments, another way of saying it is this, when you think about the things that grew you the most, when you look back over your life, there's a very good chance that the same things that you look back and say, those things made me literally who I am as a person and the reason I am who I am today and the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today is actually because of these challenges, the mm. greatest challenges and adversities that I've been through. That's what a good catastrophe is. Mm. Yeah, there was a there was a study done, I think, it, in 2010, uh, about, and they they looked across cultures around the world of how leaders were were made, 
uh, and what are the things that brought them to be to n- know how do I step into to leadership? And it was sixty three percent was either adverse situations or challenging assignments were the things as they looked back and said, "This made me into the leader I am today." It's those adverse situations that they had to to walk through. Um, it is the the call that we got in the you know at six in the morning, laying in bed, saying one of our missionaries were martyred. Uh, that has shaped us as leaders moving forward. It's an advert. It was a horrible situation to walk through that um, and and other things. How how do we get from adversity? And then how do we add some hope into it so that we can become some resilient people moving forward? If you haven't been able to detect thus far in this conversation, my accent is Australian. And in Australia, the most common tree is the eucalyptus tree. And on my land, I had a forest fire that went through and just scorched everything. And a few months later, I walked through where the fire had been it was still covered the ground was covered with black ash you could still smell the smoke but as i looked across this charred landscape i could see hundreds of these little bright green shoots that had begun to sprout now i was astonished to see how resilient the eucalyptus tree was they had actually used the fire as an opportunity to multiply. Mm. So I did some research on the eucalyptus tree. And here's what I found. After a fire sweeps through an area, eucalyptus trees have an advantage over other plants because their seed capsules, when, when they're burned, they open up and the seedlings thrive in the freshly burned ash rich soil. But even more so, there are certain species that require the tough coating around the seed to be melted by the fire in order to germinate. Mm. It's not just a story of surviving a fire. It's better than that. It's that the fire is necessary in order for the potential to be birthed. So the same fire that brings devastation is also the key that unlocks new life. I think that's what adversity can teach us. And if we can allow adversity to develop in us resilience, we start to see the fires that sweep through our lives as maybe the only thing that can unlock aspects of our human potential and our gifts and our capacity that we would never have received laying by a pool at a resort right, or on a cruise ship. It's the fires that unlock new life and new potential. And that's what the mindset of resilience is. I might be going through a fire, but if it weren't for this fire, the true seed that's in me would never truly germinate. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Uh, a couple quick questions uh, at the end. Uh, one, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? 
21 was a good age. <laughs> um, I think that when I look back over the last 20 years of my life, I would say this, that with hope in God, our storyline always curves toward a redemptive purpose. At the time, it never feels like that when we're surprised by life. But God specializes in hard situations. If I could help my 21-year-old reframe how I view troubles and adversity and recognize that hardship and hope together do something for me that a problem-free life never could, then it would help me square my shoulders differently for the challenges that life brings. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. That's good advice and really helpful. Um, And I think it would be helpful for all of the 21-year-olds out there uh, to have that redemptive story in their heads uh, as they move forward through life. Anything that you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Yes, I'm recommending my book. I'm I'm not (laughs) recommending uh, anything else. There's no other movie. There's no other book. Good Good catastrophe is what your listeners need to go and purchase. All right. Well, they do need to go purchase Good Catastrophe. Uh, what would you say to the listeners about uh, about this book? Is there anything that we didn't hit on that you would like them to know? What would you leave them with? I think most people resonate with this idea that the the era of everything in our lives fitting neatly into a box is done. Mm. That world is over. We need hope, but we need a hope that is robust enough to speak to real life. So Good Catastrophe, it's a blueprint to help people find their way through pain and find this no hold barred version of redemptive hope that takes our greatest adversities, our greatest imperfection, and turns them towards our greatest growth. Mm. Benjamin, how can people find you, connect with you, and uh, and find the book? Yeah, I appreciate it. They can go to goodcatastrophe.com or just search for the book on Amazon. It's available now on all platforms. Perfect. Well, Ben, thank you so much for this conversation. I, it was just uh, it was a privilege to walk through a place uh, of pain into hope, talking through adversity uh, and hope that would build resilience uh, in us talking through Tolkien and his story. And I, you know, it just said, Hey, this, the fever that he got all the way back in the early 20th century helps me go to Hobbiton for my, for my honeymoon. As we went to New Zealand, we wouldn't have that if uh, he died in battle. Um, so it was a good catastrophe for me too. Uh, and my wife. And uh, so I thank you for this conversation. It was really, really good. I, I just pray that, that people find hope in this uh, conversation. Uh, they find your book and they will be able to walk through pain points and really find the community of people and the community of God that they could walk with in their pain and be that community for other people. So, Ben, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Likewise, I really appreciate it and enjoyed our time together.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.